Can data-driven, patient-centered solutions lower costs while improving quality and delivering a better client experience? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. Today's episode is brought to you by HR360, the trusted source for customizable compliance tools used by brokers and their clients nationwide. Their monthly benefits newsletter, ACA alerts, RAP SPDs, HR library, and other attorney review tools will help you keep your clients and win new ones, and at a cost that will amaze you. We've been at the National Association of Health Underwriters Convention, and we've had the opportunity to talk to a few subject matter experts, and I'm sure you've heard some of those podcasts, or if you haven't, they'll be coming up in the upcoming weeks. We're fortunate enough to run into Troy Cook. Troy is Vice President of Sales and Business Development at Telligen. Telligen does a lot of very interesting things, and Troy is a subject matter expert in a lot of the background stuff that we're starting to talk to clients about and things that we need to know as advisors to help inform our decisions and also to help deliver value to the clients that, that we serve. So with that, welcome, Troy. Thank you. Good to be here. Uh, pleasure. We talk about the Affordable Care Act. And everybody stresses that word, but <laughs> while the Affordable Care Act's done a lot of stuff, and you can argue good, bad, or indifferent, it hasn't done a heck of a lot to make stuff affordable. What are the things that it missed? What are the opportunities that were missed? What can we do to try to make healthcare affordable? Yeah, well, there's a lot of topics in the marketplace today, and a lot of trends, certainly, as it relates to what I would call bending the cost curve and moving the needle, if you will, on claims management. Certainly, there are things like transparency and other tools that you guys, I know, have talked about in your podcast or will continue to talk about, where I really see some expertise and some areas of influence that can really begin to bend that cost curve. There are areas such as population health management, where we're talking about services such as utilization management and case management, disease management, all services and all solution sets that what they really provide is the ability to start looking at evidence-based clinical practices and applying that into the insurance mechanism, or in most cases, maybe it's self-funded, whatever the mechanism may be for healthcare financing. So it's really that intersection of healthcare delivery and healthcare financing that we've seen. Obviously, as you mentioned, ACA didn't necessarily do that. didn't provide a lot of incentive for the average commercial plan to start managing that, But in order to start to control those costs, because as we know, costs are continuing to rise, whether that's ACA or not is a whole other debate, and we can talk about that another time. Absolutely. (laughs) But it certainly gives us the platform to start talking about how do we control claims? How do we look at ways to treat individual members of health plans and give them the information and the knowledge and the tool set to start to control their own claims, especially for those that are going through a claim incident. So whether it be, I need to get my MRI, I need to have get approval for that, I'm going through an oncology situation, I'm having a transplant, or I may be the approximate 15% of the population out there today that has a diagnosis disease state, and they drive in any one plan, David, they drive somewhere between 65 and 70% of the claims. 
Now, some of that we can't get rid of because they're always going to be a diabetic. But we can help them manage that better. We can make sure that individuals are getting the appropriate care at the appropriate time and certainly utilizing the appropriate channels to do so. And that's really where the industry of population health management has been doing this for years in some cases. Uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, the federal government and Medicare has been doing this for a long time. State Medicaid plans have been doing these types of programs because they have such large populations, large cohorts of individuals where they have to manage that. And they can afford to invest and spend the money because they know they're going to have those individuals on their plans for a much longer period of time. So employers haven't been able to do that, but now there is an incentive to start to do that, certainly because of the cost of, of the claim. So if I'm an employee, mm-hmm. what does that look like to me in practical terms, on the ground? How, how does that happen to me? I, I'm an employee. I'm incurring a, a major size claim. What do I see? Yeah. So I think there's, there's several things. First and foremost, when, when you're talking about that major claim, it usually starts, as all of us know, with a utilization review, right? Somebody says, yes, you're having an MRI, and it's, a, it's an approved procedure for your health plan, or yes, I'm going in for an outpatient surgical procedure. Those that are relatively small claims that aren't leading to what I would call an acute chronic situation that's a large dollar claim. Those are situations that still need to be reviewed and still utilization management. Notice I didn't say utilization review, but management. Managing that outcome, managing that claim so that you match the health care plan and what's covered, and you match that up to the the services in the plan, you make sure that it's appropriate evidence-based medicine. Not that doctors are going to make bad decisions, but doctors aren't in the business of, of evidence-based insurance risk decisions. That's where utilization management can do that, giving them the appropriate care at the appropriate time. Are there other solution sets, etc.? So as a member, it means that a lot of times what may happen is my provider is engaging with the insurance company or a third-party administrator or a utilization management company and making those decisions about appropriate protocol, making sure that the member isn't getting uh, tests that really aren't clinically necessary, that aren't evidence-based medicine. So that's kind of that first step, if you will. Now, if I'm having a, a truly acute situation, most carriers, as you know, and many of your folks know, are probably going to have some sort of a, a case management firm or a case manager work with them. That case manager, though, the old days of just saying, hey, we want to make sure that however many days we approved in the hospital, we get you in, we get you out, we get you on your way. It's now about coordinating with that provider. Are we making sure in the industry today that we don't have high readmission rates? Those are huge claim areas that we haven't really tapped into. How do we keep those down? Are we making sure that we're not sending that person back through the ER because they overdosed on their medicine because they didn't understand how to take the medicine once they were out of a hospital necessarily. So it's not about getting them home quicker or out of that situation quicker. It's about managing them more effectively with an evidence-based clinical solution and complementing that with what the insurance or the insurance companies have. And that's really how the member sees that an effective program, if you will. And now a word from our sponsor. In today's market, you need a competitive edge and HR 360 delivers with their special program for brokers called the 750 Solution, loaded with every major compliance tool your clients need, and it's great for prospecting, too. HR 360's all-in-one program includes 750 subscriptions 
to HR 360's attorney-reviewed online HR library that acts like an HR department for your clients, so you can provide a subscription to all your clients and prospects. You'll keep your clients current and compliant with ACA news alerts, checklists, and guides branded with your logo, in addition to customizable monthly benefits newsletters and a free emailing system to send those newsletters and ACA alerts. And best of all, this entire popular program, including all of the tools I just mentioned, is only $899 a year. That's a special 30% discount just for Shift Shapers listeners. You really have to try it to fully understand the value in these attorney-reviewed customizable compliance tools. For a free trial access to HR 360's tools, just click on the sponsor link at shiftshapersonline.com or email sales at hr360.com and mention Shift Shapers to take advantage of that special 30% discount. So that's the cost side. And again, from the member perspective, I understand all of the stuff that you just described, and that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Where does the quality metric fit into the equation, and, and how does that impact those decisions? Great question. So one of the things that's been going on in population health management for years is quality measurement tools have been something that some of the government programs have been looking at. Most of us know in the, in the industry today that it's really tough to get a seismic shift in bending the cost curve if we aren't involving some sort of government programming. You know, estimates as much as 40 to 50% of any one population may have a government funding mechanism, Medicaid, Medicare, et cetera. And I bring that up because what those entities have done is they've looked at quality measures. They've tried to recognize where they can help educate both providers and members about not just what's approved in the health plan, but what are evidence-based medical treatment programs. So we hear this in things in the pharmacy industry, like step therapy, for example. Do I need to go to the, to the most expensive, newest, greatest drug when it may not be the right drug for me based on my symptoms? How are we treating that necessarily? So from, from the perspective you're talking about, the member certainly wants to get, as I mentioned, the right care at the right time. But at the same time, we want to make sure that, that there are clinical, evidence-based standards, and we can track that in quality. Because if you have enough data, and that's where data comes in, data really tells us what outcomes are. Unfortunately, we live in an outcomes world, right? And there's, some people don't think that healthcare should be outcomes-based, or that we shouldn't think about outcomes, but we knew that's how, that's how you measure quality. That's how you measure whether or not someone's readmitted to the hospital too many times. That's how you measure if we know if, it, if we say evidence-based medicine, that's where the evidence come from. So we have to track the data, we have to stratify that data, and then any one cohort or any one health plan can start to begin to stratify individuals that they can have an impact on, and then you can measure the quality of the care they're getting because you're tracking whether their claims are going down not just six months or eight months, but two, three, four, five years over time. And that's where once you start putting clinical-based evidence medicine in, in place and you have data, then you can intersect the two and you can measure whether the quality matched up to the pricing or matched up to those areas as well. well and yet the question that we always hear is, and you know, I, I ran, as you know, I ran a TPA for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. The question that we always hear is, yeah, you guys are great at looking in the rearview mirror. So one of the areas that I know you guys have studied and I know you know an awful lot about is if we really want to affect a lot of this on a prospective basis, looking out the windshield rather than looking out the rearview mirror, 
how do you help doctors change their practices and, and change how they look at these episodic cares and the, on a population level? Sure. Well, there's a couple things going on right now in the industry. So first of all, most of us are familiar with it. There's a movement towards ACOs or value-based contracting for providers. So what providers are starting to see is payment reform. So payment reform is going to have some impact on them. We don't know how yet. So you're saying when you've got them by the wallet, their hearts and minds will follow? <laughs> That's kind of the case, yes. But what happens is not as much when they're by the wallet is the key is how much of the wallet do we have? Do we have 5% of the wallet, 10%? How much of it's based on value and quality? How much of it is based on actual measurable outcomes? Because it's one thing for me to fill out a customer service survey, in essence, on my doctor where I just had my outpatient surgery. And if maybe I didn't like his nurse one day, I may fill out a survey that isn't very positive, but that doesn't mean I didn't have a quality outcome in the end. So we have to really decipher our way through that maze if we can. And I think we are. So first, I would tell you that I think the the fact that we're seeing some value-based pricing, we're starting to see some incentive for quality in in that space is helping. The other way to start measuring those outcomes, as you mentioned, the data and looking forward instead of looking back, is once we use the data in the population health industry, if we truly are data-driven, so we take out kind of the emotion of it, which is tough in healthcare because it's still an emotional business and we can't forget that. Absolutely. But what we have to look at is how do we begin to evaluate the population, looking at claims data, looking at biometric information, looking at where somebody is today. So that's that descriptive analytics, if you will. And that helps to inform the that doctor? Helps to infor- that helps to The way that can help inform the doctor is then we can take it to the next step, which is predictive analytics by saying... Here's a predictive modeling tool. If we did nothing for this individual, here's what their claims will look like in the future. Now, then we can start tracking prescriptive information as well by saying, if we do X and Y, what is the result in Z? And helping the doctor understand where there are things like gaps in care where maybe the family practice doctor doesn't know that the individual's not doing what they should be doing for their diabetes, for example, because they haven't been seeing the specialist. Well, a lot of times the physician or an individual physician isn't coordinating that care. So being able to, number one, use the data to trace that and to track it down and to say, hey, you have... 3% of your population as a health plan or as an employer, if you will, they're diabetic, and you have several of them that haven't had an A1C test on in the last 18 months. Well, why would you not be going in to do it? Well, you know what? They may have not coordinated with their provider. By utilizing an outsourced population management company and looking at data, looking at who that stratification of people are, then you can start very specifically working with them and coordinating their providers together. And you get a gaps in care analysis, or you can do a care transition where you're transitioning them from maybe somebody who's been on, for example, somebody who is an oncology patient for a period of time. Well, there's a lot of things that come with being an oncology survivor, a cancer survivor. There's a lot of checking. There's a lot of potential side effects down the road that need to be taken care of. So being able to coordinate that process is very important. The providers want the information. What happens is the providers don't always have the best way to gather that information because they only see that member six, seven minutes at a time 
Maybe it's multiple times in a year, but you can't get the whole picture six or seven minutes at a time. You can get the whole picture if you start using disease management, case management, and funneling that information to the provider back through the member, coordinating that together, and then when you tie in value-based pricing into the provider contracting, so they, they now have some incentives to do that because they get paid for quality measurement. They just don't get paid fee for service. They want to do what's right for the patient. So it's integrating that process together in the future is where you're going to start bending that cost curve, and we know it works. On the predictive analytics side, I know for a long time, if you could achieve an R-square of, of 20, so meaning you were right 20% of the time when you did predicted, in other fields it was terrible, but in our field it was considered great. Are we flooding the systems now with enough data so that that number is getting better, and is it getting appreciably better so that predictive modeling could be a really useful tool? Yeah, predictive modeling is obviously, first and foremost, it's only as useful as the data you put in the front side is what you're saying. So I said it in a little simpler way. You're a lot smarter than I am. What it does is it the information that goes in is obviously important. So what I'm seeing in the industry today is because we do a lot of wellness testing, we're starting to see biometric data being in, utilized. We're starting to see information like claims, and you can start doing diagnosis codes so you can start drilling that down further. Where predictive modeling starts to really play into it is if we use an academic-based system or a medically-based system. So we see things like the Johns Hopkins University ACG system where you can start to group or stratify individuals. That's where predictive modeling can get much more accurate because then you can say we have this cohort of individuals that are identified. We're tracking them through clinical-based best practices, evidence-based medicine, and here's what we did, and here were their outcomes. Here were their risk scores. Here's how much resources they utilize within the health plan. And here are the individuals that didn't do that. Because not everybody's going to always want to participate the way we want them that's, to. That's, shock, that's shocking to me. I'm sure it's shocking <laughs> Even to Even given the right information, right? There are always some that don't. But what what I think most of us do know is you give people the opportunity to make a difference. They do want to make a difference in their own lives. First and foremost, you want to feel better. So we can do it, especially when we get very specific to things like disease management. Because if I can take the 1,500 hypertensives in a, a large corporate health plan, for example, and we can track them and we can see which ones went through which protocols and we can look at what their risk scores are compared to the average person, then you can start to see do their risk scores go up or do they go down over time by utilizing medical professionals, not us insurance folks, right? Medical professionals who implement that evidence-based medicine. So predictive modeling can work and it can work very effectively as long as the information is good on the front side going in. And number two, making sure that we utilize the information to actually implement a program, a solution set that helps that individual because you don't know what you don't know. So part of the process is educating individuals that maybe have disease states, and again, the physician gets seven minutes with them three times a year. The physician just isn't a position to do as much of that disease management or do some of that case management as what we'd like to see. It's not their fault. It's just the way the system has evolved. That's where the population health industry can do that. They're the bridge between getting the data and the data analysis and crossing it into a, an applicable strategy. Is this something that benefit advisors should be aware of as they start helping to educate their clients and educating the populations in their clients' employment situations? 
Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. The question is if they should get in, involved too. The extension to your question is where at, right? Exactly. And and I think certainly we're seeing that today. So we're seeing it in a couple different ways. Number one, benefit advisors are being asked about the value of the plan today. The days of here's the cost, and, and you look at a premium number is one thing. Or if you're self-funded, I look at my total cost, that's one issue. But it's really about the total cost of the plan. So if I invest money in quality nurse coaches that have URAC accreditation, they have evidence-based medicine, they're trained in case management, they have all that good credentials. If I use true medical professionals to help manage the system, and it costs me X amount of money, but if it returns claim savings, my total cost goes down, right? So I think it's important that brokers start to understand that it's the tool set they bring to the marketplace and the value proposition of that tool set that's the differential in the marketplace. Employers want to figure out a way to make the culture of wellness and well-being and engagement a part of their health plan because they know it helps all areas of their company. They become an attractive place to work. They have a great way to manage their claims, and that allows the employer to thrive in many ways. And brokers are that partner. They're that conduit to making it happen if they stop to understand it and really utilize the professionals that are in the market space today to help them do that. It's a great point. It's also one more way. I know all of all of the advisors that I know are working diligently on trying to build practices that deliver more and more value. And this is a great data point at which value can be delivered in a, in a fairly easy and effective way. Absolutely. And as you say, have a great impact on the overall outcome and, and obviously on bending the trends. Yeah, absolutely. Super. Troy Cook, Vice President of Sales and Business Development Intelligent. Troy, thanks so much for spending some time with the Shift Shapers audience. You bet. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of the Saltzman Group. We work with entrepreneurs, executives, and companies just like you to help shape the shifts in your business. To schedule a 20-minute call to learn more, visit our website at thesaltzmangroup.com or call me directly at 803-386-8005. I'd love to hear from you. And while you're on our site, you can also click the podcast tab for the entire catalog of Shift Shapers episodes and to access some really great special offers. Give me a call at 803-386-8005 and learn how to put the secrets of the Shift Shapers to work in your business.